0: amen amen I want to encourage you that uh yeah as we gather together whether it's small or large that we gather here it's this worship is for us and even more than that it's for it's for God that he's pleased when his people pray to him meet with him just to warn you there's going to be a lot of uh quotes from uh Uh, John Calvin and Timothy Keller for whatever it was, as I was prepping this last week, uh, they just, as they uh, their commentary on on this passage really uh, stood out to me. We see Jesus in this passage he's continuing to expand really his uh, his ministry to outsiders. His ministry to outsiders. And so this message could be called uh, The King and the Outsiders. The King and the Outsiders. And in it we see Uh, Really, these two points I want us to take home to heart. That we should preach to outsiders since Jesus is pleased by faith. We should preach to outsiders because Jesus is pleased by faith. And then secondly, that we should preach to outsiders since Jesus does all things well. Since Jesus does all things well. Jesus right here in verses 24 through 26, we see that he goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And there, um, that signals a word for us that it's, this is a Gentile territory, non-Jewish territory, unbelieving territory. These were, Tyre and Sidon were, supposed to, were notorious for, uh, you know, it'd be like saying uh, like Las Vegas or something. They're notorious places of sin. So that's what we're thinking. That's what Jesus' disciples are thinking. There was a lot of Greek and Roman influence on the area. And naturally, Jesus' followers would have scorned the people of this region. This woman, we find out, comes to Jesus. Jesus tries to keep his whereabouts hidden. But this woman nevertheless hears about her. She says that she's a Gentile. Mark points out that she's... Syrian from from Syrian and from Phoenician by birth Phoenicia was an ancient sea people that populated a bunch of uh, the Mediterranean at the time and This woman we see is desperate Desperate Her daughter has a demon and You can imagine with me if your daughter Or if a good friend of yours had a demon you would be desperate too so this woman comes to Jesus. He, he was trying to keep his quiet, his whereabouts, because everywhere he's been going, right, he gets flocked by crowds, right. He just, and it really um, hinders from what he wants to do in his ministry to people because he's so personal, he's so relational, and he doesn't want to just be going from town to town or just quick moving. Sometimes he was because of this, and so he tries to keep it under wraps because. This is amazing. It seems like he wants to stay there a bit, which this is Gentile area. But um, somehow she finds out about it. Let's go to verses 27 and 30. Jesus here, he gives three comparisons as this woman comes and begs him. Three comparisons that should shock us. They're just surprising. His parable-like response. So he, she comes to him, and she's begging. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. So three comparisons. Bread is Jesus' message. Bread is Jesus' message. Children are the Jewish people. Children are the Jewish people. And then the dogs are the Gentiles. Now dogs were basically... As you guys know, um, they weren't this, uh, people didn't have dogs really so much as pets, and uh, they were dirty. They were filthy. They were they carried diseases, and uh, the Jews were basically used uh, dogs as a as a slur. It was a racial slur, all right, for non-Jewish people. It was a really derogatory remark. <sighs> so. I'm not saying that Jesus is so much making a racial slur here, but that's the context, that's the background. And what Jesus is saying is that he's saying, all right, my ministry is first to the Jewish people. It's first to the Jewish people. And many of us might think, all right, why? Why, I thought Jesus was for all people, right? Jesus is for all people. But what Jesus had done, what God had done in the Old Testament was he had chosen a particular people. At a particular time, particular place. The people of Israel and the Palestine there. And he had made those to be his own people for a time. And then he established in the New Covenant. But it was always really open to all people. It was always open to all people. There were people, Abraham, right? The first people of the Jewish nation. He wasn't a Jew. That was when it became. He was from the area of Babylon, right? Um, Rahab, Ruth, so many people who were invited into God's family weren't Jews. And it said, he also said, first, first meaning, all right, second, all right, and he was going to get to the Gentiles. And we'd already seen that in Mark, like in, and we'll get, get back to this, but like in, um, people throughout Jesus' lifetime, like the Samaritan woman, or the man with all the demons, Legion, right? If you guys remember him. First, he was expanding it to the Gentiles, and his disciples were especially going to do that. Jesus' comment to her, where she could easily take offense, was testing remark not to extinguish her faith, but to fan it to flame. Not to extinguish it, but to fan it to flame. Just like the parables. The parables, they're made to, all right, hey, I, Jesus, I don't understand you. I don't understand what you're saying. They're made to then, you're supposed to dig further. Hey, all right, Jesus, what did this mean? You're supposed to be hungry and attentive. All right, Jesus, hey, what does this mean? It was a way of Jesus drawing you closer to him. Not pushing you away, but drawing you closer to him. So there was plenty of room, though, for her to be offended. But Jesus was just stating what he was supposed to do. And her response, though, is amazing. She responds to him in his own analogies, in his own parable. I want to uh, read it. Read it for us. He says, But she answers him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat under under the table eat the children's crumbs yes lord yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs so she's saying all right yes of course god has a special plan for the jewish people all right yes and your message is to them first but aren't there even leftovers isn't there even grace and mercy that you have left even for the us gentiles for unbelievers she's humble and persistent She doesn't get offended. She doesn't let this potential offense hold her back from seeking a touch from Jesus. And so Mark wants us to show us this, how Jesus responds to her faith, her saving faith that she has. Like moth to a flame, Christ is attracted to the little light of faith that we have. He sees a little faith that we have, and like a moth to a flame, now you're out there in the darkness, you're camping, and you just, you just have a little flame, a little candle, and man, there will suddenly be a 100 bugs that are all around that flame. Many of you guys who have seen that or gone camping know what, exactly what I'm talking about. You could just have the smallest little thing. Jesus is attracted to that little flame in our hearts, guys. When we have faith, she presumes that, all right, God is good. That there is grace for outsiders. There's grace for outsiders. Even though she had the smallest little knowledge and shred of faith, shred of, excuse me, teaching about Jesus, she'd never met him before. she just heard a little bit of him. She's, She's a Gentile. She'd heard about this Jewish faith healer and this teacher. John Calvin, commenting on this passage, he says this. He says, the pride of the flesh must fall down. When we learn by nature that we are dogs. You see, this woman, I think probably understood, all right, we're all dogs. We don't deserve the grace of God. We don't deserve his good gifts, his healing for us, his teaching. We've done nothing that could, that could weigh out, and that's not even how it works, but to earn his goodness. You see, we all, in the same way, we're we're tempted throughout our lives to shake our fist at God and to be offended at the King rather than come and obey Him in humble and persistent faith. We're all liable to be offended at God. We all have baggage from our past that needs to be unpacked, right? We all have baggage. We all have things that we've been through. We all have gone through hard things. And unless we process those things, unless we unpack them, then we might be offended we can be offended at Christ's words to us too there's so many things in the Bible and in fact if you agree with everything in the Bible then you probably really don't know the Bible and haven't read it (laughs) because we can't fully understand the mind of God there are things and our God and your God is small if you your God is so small if you think you have everything figured out about God. Or he doesn't mind things that will surprise you or offend you. The gospel's first bad news, it says like, you're so wicked. You're vile. You're way more messed up. You're way more like a dog than you think you are. And That's offensive, right? The gospel is offensive, the Bible says. We also, we're offended uh, when, we, when we suffer. We can be offended at God. We can doubt His goodness, right? We can totally doubt His goodness. I fall on this. We can be tempted to blame God for the evil that we see that's done to us, right, for our own situation. We can get mad at God because this is such a fallen and broken world that we live in. Man, bad stuff happens to us. We can be offended at how God is working in the world. And his sovereignty why sometimes he seems man God just keeps on passing over me how come I don't have this job how come this doesn't happen how come I don't have this spouse or person in my life why is there this evil in the world why is this not happening we could be offended at how God is working with others but not us man this person is get promoted this person is thriving in their faith this person is seeing this whatever we can be offended at God we can be offended too, and you say, you know what? I'm too much of a, of a dog. I'm too sinful and broken to even come to Jesus. I'm too. I don't, I don't want to come to him. I don't deserve this or that. I don't deserve this goodness, his love, his promises. And many of us fall into a way to think of that, even in even the back of our minds, even though we don't think that. John Newton, a pastor, uh, we're singing the song Amazing Grace today at Glenn's funeral. John Newton, he was a terrible wicked man. He was a a slave owner. Um, He said that he could cuss straight for a whole hour not using the single cuss word again, with all individual cuss words. For a whole hour, he could swear without reusing the same word. He said, this guy was A slave trader that for his occupation he went and brought slaves back and forth the transatlantic slave and those terrible slave ships that's why he said God has saved a wretch like me he became a pastor and he was writing to this man that uh, was very depressed and he John Newton he says this He writes to him, he says, you say you feel overwhelmed with guilt and a sense of unworthiness. Well, indeed, you cannot be too aware of the evils inside yourself. Think of who's talking here. You can't be aware, too aware of the evils inside yourself, but you may be, indeed, you are improperly controlled and affected by them. You say it's hard to understand how a holy God could accept such an awful person as yourself. You then express not only a low opinion of yourself, which is right, but also too low an opinion of the person, work, and promises of the Redeemer, which is wrong. You complain about sin. When I look at your complaints, you are so full of self-righteousness, unbelief, pride, and impatience that they are little better than the worst evils that you complain of. When we say, oh God, God couldn't accept me, oh he wouldn't do this for me, he wouldn't, I'm not good enough, that's partly true. We absolutely aren't, but we also then, we don't admit and know how unparalleled a grace and love and mercy that God has toward us. Tim Keller says this, it is as just as much a rejection of the love of God to refuse to seek him as to refuse to come after his mercy, to refuse to accept it, to refuse to be content with it, as to say, I'm not, I'm too good for it. I'm too good for that. I'm too good for God's love. It's just the same thing. You see, faith is what prompts this response in Jesus. That's why we should re- preach to others, so that God could bring out faith in them. That Jesus is pleased with faith. Jesus is pleased with faith. He's pleased with the faith that we have, friends. How small or great it may be. He's pleased with the faith that he wants to see happen in others. Unbelievers like this Gentile woman. In Mark's gospel, we're seeing this unfold. We see faith like this this woman who's a Gentile here. But we see hardness of the disciples. Dullness of the disciples. They're not getting it. We're seeing the unbelief of the religious people, the theologians of Jesus' day, the Pharisees. And meanwhile, this occurrence, uh, Calvin says this, Calvin says this, tends powerfully to condemn the Jews. There's this woman here who's a non-Jewish woman. That though the Jews, they boasted of being heirs of the covenant of the Lord said, oh, our father is Abraham, right? We're a royal priesthood. Man, our father is Abraham, all right? We're, We're God's people. We're so great that they were blind and deaf to Jesus with a loud voice and all the miracles that Jesus was doing offered to them this promised redemption. But this woman, she hears his voice. She hears and she comes to him. She has humble persistence, humble persistence, um, speaking of, you know, we were camping. I guess uh, I was talking about that earlier. But I've gone camping, uh, traveled all around uh, the West, growing up, going camping with my family. And we go to state parks, a lot of uh, national parks, just see beautiful parts of the country. And of course, there'd always be these uh, bear signs of uh, warning that, all right, bears can um, get to your food. All right, don't put any shred of food all right, in your tent You know when you put or in your um, you know luggage that's going to be in your tent or it says even in your cars in your cars and I saw pictures of this where bears would just just tear easily just tear a uh, the car doors off a van off a vehicle and there'd be the stories of this of uh, park rangers would tell us that they The bear, when they got in there, they found, it's just a little stick of gum. Just a little stick of gum inside a car door. Inside a car. And the, the bear just rips it open just like nothing. Like a sardine can. And he gets right in there. Just a little piece of gum. Just a little piece of food he might just go ransacking through your tent. Jesus. He's so attracted to the, even just a little faith that we have. Just a little faith that he'll come to us. He'll touch us. He'll want to respond in faith to us. He's pleased with faith. So, therefore, let us reach out and preach to unbelievers as well. Second point I want to see is we should preach to outsiders since Jesus does all things well since Jesus does all things well. We see this in verse 31 through 37. Jesus is still in Gentile territory. He returns from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Now, if you guys would remember, Jesus was hanging out a lot in above the Sea of Galilee. He was in, uh, this is what happens when he was in uh, Legion. When uh, he comes with Legion, the guy had all the demons. He's in that area. Jesus again is in that area and they brought to him a man says who was deaf and had a speech impediment and they begged him to lay his hands on him and taking him aside from the crowd privately he put his fingers to his ears and after spitting touched his tongue all right so what's what's going on here what's Jesus doing Jesus does this. This is a really interesting idea. Jesus then, he is speaking sign language with this guy. Jesus deeply identifies with this man. Uh, Tim Keller says this, he says, all the touching um, of ears, the touching of his mouth, it's sign language. Jesus is saying, let's go over here, don't be afraid. I'm going to do something about that. Now look to God. Because this man, he can't hear Jesus. He can't understand what he's saying. He comes in a man, this man's cognitive world and uses terms, nonverbal speech, that this man can understand. He bends to this man. Notice how he takes him away from the crowd. Why does he do that? Wouldn't he want everyone to see? Tim Keller says, well, imagine this man as he grew up. He's always been a spectacle. He's deaf. And therefore, he can't produce proper speech. Just imagine the way people made fun of him all his life. Jesus knows this and refuses to make a spectacle of him now. He is identifying with him emotionally. I think that's brilliant. Jesus is so compassionate and loving toward this man. And then verse 34, We see that Jesus, looking up to heaven, he sighs. He sighs. Why does he do that? He hasn't done that for all these other things. I think this is what's happening here, that the word for that, it's it's like Jesus is, is moaning. Jesus is groaning. He's groaning over the brokenness of the world. The fact that there are people with sickness, that there's demon possession, that there's deafness and dumbness all these people that he's been healing all the hardness of heart the hardness of the disciples of the Pharisees of the Jewish people hardness of religious hearts dullness and slowness of the disciples it says "Ephatha," that is be opened and his ears are opened His tongue was released, he speaks plainly. And then Jesus charges to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously he proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Man, that would be a great uh, verse to memorize this next week. They were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Right here, this story is a, is a declaration, it's a clear allusion to Isaiah 35, five through six, just that last verse right there. Isaiah 35, it says this, it says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf, the deaf, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy tongue of the mute, sing for joy. Mark is wanting to say, this is the Messiah right here. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus. And the focus of this entire account, this last chapter of it, the last few weeks that we've been looking through it, back to chapter six, the focus of the entire account is this: the confession that Jesus does all these things well. He's been doing all these things that we've been talking about this last month. He does it so well. And we should be astonished too, friends, at Christ's work. It's leading with listening faith. It's a proclaiming faith. I pray that God would loose our tongues to worship him each day, each day this next week, that we would just tell others about his greatness. We'd tell our own hearts about his greatness. We'd be astonished at his own mercy to us. We'd be astonished and say, "All right, just like John Noon, God, saved a wretch like me. Just like this woman would be astonished that, all right, even, I'm such a dog, but all right, he has even mercy on me. Because this is the deal. We're all outsiders. We're all outsiders. We're all, we're originally outside the kingdom of God, outside of God's grace, on his judgment was on us. This this story just reminds me so much of Luke 14. This is what we see happening right here. Luke 14, there's a, Jesus gives the parable, many of you will know it, I think, of uh, the parable of the great banquet. Parable of the great banquet. So Jesus is see, sees this, uh, there's this custom, right, um, of people would, would bring their rich neighbors and relatives, all the well-to-do people, they'd invite them when they have a party, invite those people over. And Jesus was also seeing what was happening that all these people are rejecting him. All these Jewish people and the leaders, they were rejecting him. And so he tells them this parable. He tells them this parable. And in this parable, right, there is a man who has a great feast. And he sends people out. And all the people send back invitations. You know, their invitations, uh, uh, just like when you send back your wedding uh, invitations or whatever. And you say, "Ah, oh, I can't come. Some people say, oh, all right, you know, I have, a, I just got a new five yoke of oxen. I got to break in my oxen. Okay. I got I can't come. I got to examine them. I have to be excused. All right. Um, I just got married. All right. Can't do it. Can't come. Everything's ready. All right. And so this is what it says. Verse 21 it says, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. who was throwing this party. And the master of the house became angry and said to a servant, all right, go out quickly to the streets, to the lanes of the city, and bring to the, in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who I invited Shall taste my banquet but those who come to me in faith those who come to me in faith who have faith they will sit and taste of it that's what we see happening right now and that's what God does in our lives he invites all he invites all and it's those who in faith come he's inviting the outsiders he came first to the Jews and those, some believe, end up believing. And many it. And now he comes to us. He comes to us and he invites us to take part of his kingdom. We were all outsiders. And now he says to us, to all right, other people who, who aren't part of this church and who aren't Christians, go and invite them as part of your lives. Reach out to them. Go to the highways and byways. Compel people to come in. That's what Jesus is for us too. That we should preach to outsiders because he invited them. Here's four practical points I want to uh, share with you guys as we wrap up here. How can we do this? Here are four ways. First one is pray for them. First one, pray for outsiders in your lives. Write down a VIP list. Write down a list. and You can be praying for it every week. Write out days that you could be praying for it with names of people, your neighbors that you could be praying for, your people that you see often like at a hair salon. I'll write down names of them and be praying for them. And the next time I see them, even if it's a month away or longer, you can be praying for these people in your life. And don't give up praying. This is the means how God uses to save people, your prayers. Guys, this is... Is how God saves people, through your prayers. That's what God's word says. Number two, we can give them the gospel. We can give people the gospel. Build relationships with them, get to know them. And that takes time. Sometimes you won't share the gospel right away with people, but make sure to get to that, that you get to the truth of that. People love in relationships. Your love for them, your relationship with them, won't save them. The gospel, the message of the gospel, that's what will save them. That's what we can share with them. We can give them the gospel. Third thing is that we can love the unlovable. We can love the unlovable. This is people who are different from us, whatever that looks like. People who are different politically than us. People who have a different lifestyle than us. Man, how amazing is it when people who love Jesus befriend people who are totally and radically different than them, right? Jesus, it says, was a friend of sinners, that we shouldn't be easily offended with other people. Oh, man, I don't like their beliefs. I don't like how they dress. I don't like how they do this on social media. I don't like this. I don't like that. But we can love people who are unlovable. Fourth thing is that we can go and send. We can go and send. So this means we actually going and sharing the gospel with people. Actually sharing the gospel with people. We can also uh, tithe to give our offerings so we could send more. Our church, we give and we are part of seeing people who have never heard about Jesus come to know Jesus overseas. We do that. We give to Pastor's missionary overseas that they can know about Jesus. And we want to be involved locally. We're supported by local churches and local other church plants. And I, we want to get involved in doing that too with another church plant and that we could be giving money to them. Don't, don't be underestimated, but we can do. Just even with a few of us. The ragtag bunch of disciples that Jesus had, they turned the world upside down. <clears throat> I want to close with this. Friends, this is, this is the gospel. That we were outsiders too. But this is the amazing thing that we obtained from Christ in answer to our prayers, both in speech and in hearing. He pours his energy into our tongues. He pierces our ears with his fingers, that we could give praise to him, that our ears could be opened up to know him. Isaiah 35, the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Spiritual eyes, the spiritual ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall, man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. We can sing that the king has come. Come and sit at his his table, friends. This next week, come and sit at his table. All you who are broken, all of you who are outside of the kingdom, come and rejoice that you are part of the kingdom. Let that be just something that lights your heart on fire, that no one else can extinguish it, no matter what happens this week, no matter what events and what people are in your life. Go to the highways and byways and invite the lame, the sick, those outside of the kingdom to come in. Compel them to come in. The truth is that we are all dirty and unworthy dogs. We're all deaf to hear the loving truth of the gospel and mute to proclaiming the glories of God. Confessing his worth, that he does all things well. And this is what Tim Keller says, I love it. He says, on the cross, He says Jesus would identify with us totally. On the cross, the child of God was thrown away. He was cast away from the table without a crumb so that those of us who are not children of God could be adopted and brought in. Put another way, the child had to become a dog so that we could become sons and daughters that sit at the table. Now we can approach the king. We're brought to the table, friends. Our mute tongues are loosed to proclaim his praises and call him king. Don't be too proud to accept the good news of the gospel of how messed up and broken and unworthy we are. But don't despair either so that you would not accept what the gospel says about how loved and accepted you are by the king who loved you, who took your place outside of the city gate so that you could be brought into the courts of the king, sit at his table. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your great love that you've loved us. We thank you that you are the king. You're an amazing king who loves and reaches out to outsiders. We thank you for that. We pray that we would know that such a way that you loved us, who are outsiders, who have now become your children. And we would now continue to take that message and reach the outsiders in our lives, God. Give us the peace, give us the power, give us the joy and purpose to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.